Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. And today's show is going to be a little bit different. But before I tell you why it's going to be different, I want to jump into this episode's tip in my 20 tips for solopreneurs. If you've been listening to the show lately, you know that I've been starting every show with one of my 20 tips for solopreneurs because I've been doing this, this solopreneur thing, this working for myself for six years as of April 1st. And as we lead up to April 1st, I'm sharing one of those tips on the episode. And today we're up to tip number 16. And tip number 16 is a simple one. It's say yes. It's that simple. So often we get so busy and we worry about our schedules because we're so overworked and there's so much information coming at us and so many people want our time that we just start protecting our calendar. We say no, no, no. And when we say no so many times, we might be missing opportunities. I mean, being a solopreneur is true. You can't do everything. But if your first gut reaction is to say no when someone calls and wants to have coffee, or maybe they want you to speak at an event, or maybe it's, hey, will you come with me to this networking function? If you go, no, I'm too busy. No, no, no. You're going to miss opportunities. Some of the best things that have happened to me in, in my career and in my time as a solopreneur have been when I was willing to say yes. Someone asked me to do something that's a little bit out of my norm, and I say, let's explore it. I have clients all the time who ask me when I'm going to speak at their conference. They want to know if I'll do something additional while I'm on site. And one client said to me recently, hey, will you just play a little bit? And my answer was, of course I will. Yes. And that's when great things happen. And that's what's different about today's episode. Today's episode is going to be a simulcast. And a simulcast is when two podcasters get together and record one episode, and then they both release it as a show. So I'm sharing this episode with Bob Nolly from the Labrador Leadership Podcast. And we had a chat together as if we were sitting having a beer, and he's releasing it on his show, and I'm releasing it as episode 54 of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. So sit back and listen, and I hope that you enjoy this simulcast as much as I did recording it. Ladies and gentlemen, how are you today? This is a big event. This is a big event. We're doing a simulcast today. Simulcast. Oh my God, is the simul half here. Tom, are you here? I am here, Bob. Cool things entrepreneurs do. The host, Tom Singer, glad you're here, also known as the Conference Catalyst. Yep, How's glad- life down there in one of the coolest cities in the nation? I am here in Austin, Texas, and it is absolutely fantastic, Bob. Winter left there many times ago. We're still getting blizzard in the east, but we're not going to talk about the weather today. <laughs> okay, well, it's going to be cold tomorrow here. So Yeah, yeah the same thing here. So there we go. I'm, I'm aching for springtime. When the, <laughs> when the March Madness starts and the hoops hit the TV screen, I'm ready for some a little bit warmer weather. Excellent. Well, I'm really excited about this simulcast. We're recording one show, and we're both going to use it on our podcast. And I think it's going to be fantastic information for both of our listeners and a great chance for my audience to find out about Labrador leadership. And a great chance for my folks to find out about all the cool things entrepreneurs do and your your past and your experience, Tom. Uh, you and I met through a couple of mastermind groups and chatted a little bit, and it felt very natural just from the start. So my whole premise of the Labrador Leadership Podcast being a couple of folks sitting on the front porch with uh, something in the glass, 
talking shop. You know, this is going to be an easy fit here. That's what it feels like. I already feel like I'm sitting on the porch having a beer with you, Bob. <laughs> okay, here we go then. So you came out of the corporate world. I mean, marketing specifically, but also uh, financial institutions as well. Yeah, I have a background in sales and marketing, both with law firms, banks, and consulting firms. Wow. That's that's going the distance. That's going the distance. I, I can see why you came screaming into the night when it was all over. So, but looking back into that time, and of course, don't even mention names unless you want to, but it was there one person that at any point in your career, you know, the very earliest days, even up to the end of the corporate world, that you remember now as being the best person you ever worked for? Wow, there's so many. I was really fortunate. I worked for some great people, and I also worked for some maybe less than great people. But yeah, I, we all I, have that opportunity, don't we? <laughs> but I have a couple of people who come to mind when, when you ask the question that way. And the first one is before I went to work for, for a law firm and stuff like that, I sold advertising. And my sales manager was based on the East Coast, and he only came to town a couple of times a year. And I worked for him on a, several different projects in Austin and St. Louis and Los Angeles, and I would travel for him. And so I didn't ever see him. And this was before cell phones and all of the social media tools. So we talked on the phone once a week. And the reason I I say he was the best was he understood. He managed a team of about 10 salespeople, and he fully understood that he couldn't be one size fits all. He had to manage each team member differently. So, you know, he would have different little sort of side bonus plans on things to motivate us. And one little thing was I was newly married and my wife and I loved to eat at nice restaurants, but you know, we were young and weren't making that much money. We couldn't afford to do all the things that maybe we can later in life. And so what he would do is he would say, look, if you can meet your quota, you know, and exceed it, you know, four of the next five weeks, when I come to Austin, I'll take you and your wife out to Ruth Chris Steakhouse or some nice place. And what he did with another friend who had sort of a different thing, she was a single mom, he would take sort of an attitude of, you know, if you meet your quota for the next five weeks, you know, you can come in, you know, drive your kids to school for the next two weeks or something. So he had different little side things he worked out with each of us that was our own personal motivation. Because to me, coming in late didn't mean anything. And she didn't want to be away from her kids at night when he would come to town to, to go on sales calls with her. So he basically did every single piece of management individually tailored to the person. And so that's the first person I would say. And the second one was one of the partners in the first law firm I worked for. He hired me in to be their marketing director. They had been my client. And they sort of did a full departure when they hired me and sort of recreated that position around me. But this one lawyer, and he was kind of gruff, this one lawyer really was my champion. I worked for him at two different firms for four plus years. And the one thing about him was he realized that being a non-lawyer in sort of an executive level position inside a law firm was a tough place to be. Law firms can churn through their marketing people pretty quickly because someone gets crosswired with them and a partner gets down on them and then nobody wants to kind of go to bat. And what he did was just the opposite. He was always my champion. If I did something right, he made sure that everyone in the firm knew about it. If I did something wrong, he made sure that they realized it wasn't the end of the world. And so, you know, those two things I learned so well from those two managers or those two people. One was you got to treat everybody individually. And number two, you know, you have to be your employee's champion. Boy, that number two, that's very interesting because the whole marketing aspect of law firms, that's something that's you know, well, newer rather than older. And I don't know at what point in the curve that you became, you came to that firm, <laughs> but there was a gentleman in Richmond, and I'll say his name, Ned Parker. He was, he was one of my dad's best friends. 
And he first started with his firm here in, in the RVA uh, doing some marketing and some media. And that really bought the hackles up on some law firms around town. But to the very end, he kept pushing for that and pioneering that and molding it in a way that left the uh, appropriate taste in the mouths of the customers, so to well, speak. And when I got into this legal marketing thing 12 years ago, it was you know not brand new, but it was still on the newer side. And to have a non-lawyer who went out into the community and networked, and because I have this skill as a speaker and a master of ceremonies, I would be the master of ceremonies at some events in the community. People would – other lawyers would say to the partners in my firm, they'd say, oh, we would never – let a non-lawyer no, no. go, go oh, no, out no, there ever. And, no. and be the face of the firm. We yeah. would never do that. And my partners would go, good, because it's working out really well for us. They really liked what I was doing. And they're like, good, we don't want you having someone like him because my job was all day, every day to protect and promote the image of the firm. Their job was to practice law and, and bill hours and you know do those things. I couldn't do that. I didn't have a law degree. It wasn't my area of expertise. So every day, all day, I would go out and promote their image. And it worked really, really well. Yeah, that that's just great. I, I could see that story unfolding in that manner. The first person you mentioned, the fact that he uh, got everybody motivated using a different, uh, a different carrot, so to speak, that, that's the key right there. And, and managers that you know say one size fits all, even if you're a sales manager and thinking all salespeople are motivated by the same thing. That, that, that's just dead wrong. And anybody that takes the tack that he took, you know, you can't help but be successful, all of the things being equal. Yeah, and I would, you know, I would go to work for him again if the opportunity was right, just because I know that you know, he would have me motivated and wanting to work hard. So now you're on the outside, and now you're looking in. I know you do consulting and executive coaching and the like, and I'll ask about that in a minute. But you know, when you're on the outside looking in in your role as a conference catalyst, what are you seeing as the ache in the corporate world now, what, what are they trying to succeed? What, what is the top of the house really need? So, Bob, six years ago, I started off on my own. I got laid off from a consulting firm where I was the marketing director. And I had already been speaking and training and consulting a little bit on the sideline. And, and my boss knew it, and it was all good. But the recession hit, and you know, I had to go out and figure something out. There were no jobs. And I went out there and, and became sort of a keynote speaker and a master of ceremonies for corporate events and large association events. And I call it being the conference catalyst, and I can tell you more about that later. But I get really involved with the event from the planning stage to the follow-up stage with the clients who want to use me in, in that capacity. And one of the things I see across industry lines, because I speak for both white-collar and blue-collar associations. I meet people from all walks of life in, in the career path that I'm on. And I'll tell you the one thing that I really see where people are, are both struggling but also making uh, strides is in sort of getting out of the box and thinking freely and being more creative. And I see that with the people who are the organizers. Some, some people who work as meeting organizers are some of the best people. I, I always give the advice, if you want to hire somebody who is going to work their butt off for you, you want to hire someone who has a background as a meeting planner. But some of the best ones are realizing that they can't just put on the same event every year, take out the old agenda and fill in, you know, keynote speaker, break with donuts, uh, you know, three breakout tracks, you know, lunch with another keynote, you know, da, 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 da. There, there's certain things that, that meetings have to be, but there's certain things they don't have to be. And so people are, are shaking up the way they do it. And so I find people uh, in all industries are struggling to be relevant through being creative. And the meetings industry is just sort of a, a chasm, you know, a cross section of that. Yeah, I could see that. That That's just excellent. I, uh, I see the folks at the top of the house today, you know, as 
as the recession came through and flattened organizations, and you know the first casualties, of course, were for the most part the middle managers. And you and I have both been in that group and, <laughs> and felt the brunt of that. Yep, April first, two thousand. Yeah, April first, two thousand nine. I was similar. I was and laid the organization off. Organization gets flatter, and because it got flatter, it called for everyone to have not only broader skills but better skills. And frankly, the individual, whether you're a line manager or you're sitting there in the C-suite, you can't do it. You can't do it. And there is a need that I'm seeing that's coming back now for a call for some type of consulting that more likely than not looks like executive coaching. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, and I think the hardest thing for the top, you know, the top level managers is being able to take those risks to let the people who work for them go out and do those creative things that I was talking about. Because if everything has to be approved and everything has to have an ROI, you know, known in advance, no one's going to try anything new. I, I worked for a person one time and I said, sometimes you have to throw a little spaghetti against the wall and see what sticks. And, and the person was like, not in my company. No spaghetti hits the floor. And I said, well, we're never going to grow because we can't try new marketing and sales techniques if we have to prove to you before we spend the money that we're going to have you know, a 5x return. And so I think the biggest thing that they need to be coached on at a leadership level is it's okay to try stuff. And if somebody tries something and it doesn't you know, hit it out of the park, that's not necessarily a failure because it's sort of the old story about Thomas Edison you know, inventing the light bulb you know, that he tried you know, however many thousands of different ways and it kept failing. And somebody said, oh, you've failed so many thousands of ways. And he says, no, I found so many thousands of ways it's not going to work. Leaders yeah, have, ha- to have to be willing to do that. You have to be able to have those experiments. You have to be willing to have those tiny experiments. Yes, track, track the return on these, track the cost, but also track what you learned in them. And that's the coaching that I think executives need is they need to be coached that it's okay for their people to try and fail and for themselves to try and fail. Now, you don't want to have, you know, a multimillion dollar failure, but at the same time, you know, sometimes you've got to let that that ball roll down the hill and see where it goes. And if you're not willing to do it or you hold your people to such a standard that they're scared of you so they won't try it, you're also going to miss, you know, that huge opportunity. Oh, yeah, the interpersonal skills now just became become super critical. And, you know, in a smaller business, if I step out of the corporate size to even below a medium size to a small business, I found lots of folks at the top now just like need to have conversations like a life coach for their business. Yeah, and I think that that is, you know, on, I don't do a lot of coaching, but when I do, that's really what it becomes. It becomes sort of, I don't want to call it uh, – you know, life coaching or, or therapy or whatever, but it's it's just being able to talk things through. I think the more we can look at things from different angles and we can bring people in who can show us a different vision point, I think the more chances we have for success, whether we're a small business or a large business. I work a lot, you know, in the entrepreneurial space. My show is called Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. And, you know, I always think that the, the best entrepreneurs are observing what other people are doing because when they're watching what someone is doing, you know, that's out of their industry. Maybe, you know, they're in tech and someone else is in, you know, computer services or uh, legal services, you know, and you go, wow, look at how they're serving their clients. We, we couldn't do it the same way, but we can give it this twist. That's when I think they get better. And that's where this whole idea of, of executives and entrepreneurs having coaches or having a mastermind group becomes so critical because if we think we have all the answers in our own head, we're going to fail. No, and and who should think that you do have all the answers in your own head? You just want to be able to talk to somebody that can help you 
find the answers. It may be not be this person that you want to come in and help create a, a strategy for your organization 2.0. It may just be to solve the issues, to improve the productivity at whatever point the, uh, the organization's in. I've talked to a lot of organizations now that are talking about turning the pyramid upside down, the traditional pyramid model where the top of the house grows down to the line and you have everybody at the line and in contact with the customers. They're talking about flipping the pyramid over so it's the top of the house that graphically at least is supporting the line to give them more power and empowerment, I guess is a better word, to in that moment of magic right there in between the salesperson and the customer to create that value and that spark. Well, and I think if you flip that pyramid upside down, so that little tip, that executive is at the bottom supporting everything. If you think about gravity as an analogy, think of all the ideas that the people above you, your direct reports, the line employees, your customers, your vendors, you know, as that pyramid goes out, as it goes up, gravity, so many more ideas can rain down to the bottom. Whereas if you flip it into a traditional pyramid, you know, there's one person at the top whose ideas can trickle down to everybody. And so, you know, if you think of it that way, of course you want to invert that pyramid. Yeah. And and that's the secret. And sometimes it's an ego thing from getting engaged. You ask somebody why they don't have a coach. I don't think it's a budget thing. I think a little bit of times it's an ego thing. Well, I think it's an ego thing, but I also think that it's a budget thing because the problem is, is, you know, people out there who do great coaching services, you know, it's, it's not cheap to get. And the problem is if you haven't done it before, it can be scary to put out that kind of a money. Plus, there's a lot of people out there saying they do this who don't provide any value. And so it's finding the right one. I've been, you know, I've been looking around for the right person and I don't mind investing money if someone can actually, you know, show me that they're going to move the ball forward, but it's, it's hard to find. It is hard to find. It is hard to find. So, Bob, let me ask you a couple of questions. So, sure. you know, you've got a full-time job and you've got this Labrador leadership thing going kind of as a sideline. And that's sort of how I started as a speaker. I had a full-time job working for the consulting firm and the bank and the law firm before that. But I was going out and speaking at conferences, sometimes for compensation, sometimes for free, uh, on the side. So as somebody who has sort of a, a sideline piece, what is it that's sort of appealing to you to have your own thing going on? You know, sometimes it's just the pieces come together and you have to be awake enough in your life to realize just what the opportunities are with the pieces that have come before you. When I uh, came out of the financial institution's IT world, uh, I part of the uh, magic I tried to make happen to uh, meet the financial needs was I started teaching, as many people have done, as an adjunct. And the first night I walked into the place I was teaching, I went, this felt like home. And my, you know, my my family has told me for years, yeah, you're lugging the teaching gene around. There's no doubt about it. So this kind of addressed that. And I taught for a year, and then all of a sudden, uh, I was at a <laughs> I was at a Halloween party one night. I was dressed as a pirate, and I had a patch over my eye and a big blousey white shirt, and then, you know, the, the long <laughs> the hair. Puffy shirt. I had a cup of grog in my hand or something. And somebody came and tugged me on the sleeve. Went, we want you to be the dean. And I went, oh, really. <laughs> And that was, you know, just a management position of that location. But part of the deal was I had to go get a, a PhD to do that. And I went, you know, I'm not – it was a lot of work, and I'm, I'm proud of, of doing that. And when I got it done, I, I got one in leadership. And I think it was because I had always been successful at building and leading teams. So when I studied more about it, I, I think there's a lot we – not only that we can learn, but that we've forgotten about. And if – 
everyone, whether they are managing a small shop or, you know, a multi-level organization with hundreds of not thousands of people, go back and just think about their leadership journey and what the possibilities are moving forward. I, I think there's some advantage to them there now. So I, that's why I started the podcast because somewhere in the distance past, I did, uh, I did in the distant past, I did uh, college radio which was wonderful because before the music business got turned on its head, you got to play the music that you wanted everybody to hear, and they had to listen to you. <laughs> and, and you said it was good, and they had to believe you. And uh, so be, and there were no, in college, there no, there's no ratings. There's no you know, battle for ratings and the like. So I did a top 40 station, and I did an alternative rock station, and I just loved being on the radio. So now this came back, the podcast uh, burgeoning era we are in now, and I'm like, yeah, I can do that. So, Bob, what so, advice would you have for somebody who has a full-time job? I think a lot of my listeners kind of have you know, a good thing going, but they have that little pang that they want to start their own thing, and they don't want to take that full leap. So what advice would you give somebody who wants to start something on the side? This is going to be a disappointing answer for them because it is one they have heard already if they floated that question, and it is just start. <laughs> Do something. Just start. Here, is, here are the mistakes I made. I'll share these. I, uh, I was a bit of a perfectionist and said I can't start yet because I don't know this. Whether it's, you know, I don't know how to rig up this mixer to this mic and I don't know how to, how to get the editing. I, don't, I can't start. Well, I could have gone and gotten somebody to do that very inexpensively and very easily, but now I know how to do that. Or I didn't know uh, how to market it, and I may not have solved that yet, but a lot of people are starting to listen, and I'm getting some great feedback, so maybe I am starting to solve that, but just start. The second thing is, and you and I both know this because this is where we collided, find a group that allows you to surround yourself with experts. And not only experts necessarily, but good people, as we say in the South, good folks. Good folk. (laughs) And just be as supportive of them as you can, even though you may think you bring nothing to the table at that point in the beginning, but learn all you can from them. Ask questions. Polish your craft. and, And you'll learn a lot. And then you'll look back six months, not even a year, over your shoulder and go, oh my gosh, look where I moved between here and there. Well, and that's actually a great point because we did meet in this online coaching group. But the other piece I would add is joining it's not enough. You have to get involved and active. There were 60 or 70 people in that group, but I only ever saw 12 of us. And I've often wondered about that group, you know, what would have happened if the other 50 people or whatever that number was had been as engaged? Because just from those 12 people like you and so many others who I still keep in touch with, you know, four months later, how much how much more information would everybody had garnered if everybody had participated? So I always tell people, if you're going to participate in some sort of a, of, of a group, whether you put it together yourself or it's a paid mastermind or, or it's a conference for the weekend, the more you get involved, the more you're going to get out. And to your first point about perfection, you know, I always say perfection is the enemy of getting things done because if we worry about things being perfect, we're almost never going to hit publish. So, you know, I think you're right. That's people have to get over that. Yeah, and I've already hinted to the labbies already. They already know that, you know, something's coming around the corner on our side that will allow them to get together and perhaps uh, experience that. Ooh, how exciting. Uh, and you and, and I both met someone as well who uh, his show was named uh, Ready, Fire, Aim. And uh, it was directed toward uh, veterans, you know, starting uh, small businesses after yes, uh, yes. their life in the military. But that, that 
that name of that captures that whole concept. You don't perfect it, just fire, then re-aim, and that's the whole concept of the pivot. Well, I've been doing my podcast for four plus months now, and you know, as I go back and listen to those early episodes, you know, it it wasn't as good as it is now, and six months from now, it'll be even better. And I have to just constantly be listening and, and listening to how I ask questions and the type of people I interview, and it just gets better. It's it's like my speaking career. I've given over four hundred and fifty professional level speeches, and somebody will come up and say, "Wow, you're really good." You know, how did you get that ability? And it's like, well, I've given four hundred and fifty speeches. It just that's right. I worked hard at it. Yeah, honing your craft is important. So Bob, the last question I want to ask you is I always ask the guests on my show sort of, you know, we could talk about Bob Noli all day long and the cool things you're doing with Labrador Leadership and your podcast, or we could talk about your work at the university. But I think the best entrepreneurs are out there watching other people. So who do you see who's doing something cool? Oh, I I have to mention this, folks, uh, to everybody that listens to your show, Tom. There's a gentleman here and his name is Mark Smith in the RVA. And I interviewed him on early on episode three. And he is uh, the guy that owns the franchise for Midas Auto Repair of Central Virginia. And he owns four stores, but one of them is right here in this area of town in the West End of Richmond we call Short Pump. And uh, I I think it's important on anybody's entrepreneurial journey, the final step, hopefully not too far down the list, is to give back massively to your community. And and what Mark does at his store is – he brings the Virginia blood service there in their big blood drive truck. And if you give a pint of blood, he gives you a free oil change. Oh, wow. And if you come in any other time and you put, uh, I think, $10 or a case of uh, cans in his box for the uh, food bank, which is called Feedmore, the Central Virginia Food Bank is now called Feedmore, uh, he gives you a free state inspection. I love it. And so, you know, you start to scratch your head about the math of that, of, you know, how much does that cost him? Is how, is, how much is he giving away? And, well, you know, he says he doesn't care. But here's what's happening in that store. He told me on the air that the average annual revenue for a Midas franchise was $700,000. This year, he's going to do $4 million. <laughs> well, and so I went, you know, heaven forbid if you or I ever get to the $4 million mark, but here's, you know, here's a car guy that just loved what he did. And I say, where do you find the people that you hire in there? He goes, I can teach anybody how to, you know, to do the actual mechanical work. I'm looking for good people that can deal with customers the way I want them to be treated. Well, and it is true. The more you give, the more you're going to get back. And I have a thing, people who listen to my show know I talk about uh, compounded generosity. And that is, if you just do little things over time, it's going to add up that you're giving a lot to charity. And in this case, you know, imagine the number of cans or the amount of blood that this person has raised over the year for the blood bank and the food bank and, and all that. I mean, it must get into, you know, giant numbers. And then the byproduct of that is more people come back and buy his products and services. So it's, it's a total win-win, but it doesn't happen with a single can drive or a single blood drive. He does this as part of his lifestyle. Absolutely. And, you know, of course, he's been recognized by civic groups. And, you know, I, I think he said of all the blood the Center Virginia Blood Bank, I think he said 4% comes out of, uh, <laughs> comes out of his That's blood amazing. drives, which is just astonishing. That is absolutely so, you know, amazing. You put that at the end of the entrepreneurial trail and at the front end when you're having that, that perfection paranoia and you go, I'm not good enough, I'm not ready yet. I remember, you know, I remember folks like Michael O'Neill and Johnny Dumas cussing me and goes, Pop, get launched. 
for crying out loud, just get launched. And they almost kind of shamed me into it, you know, <laughs> and, I, and went, okay, we're done. I had and John, so, I had John on the show. It was the episode immediately before yours. And he told the same story about you just have to start. And we talked about, if you want to be a writer, start writing. If you want to be a speaker, start speaking. If you want to be a podcaster, start podcasting, just go out and do it. And when you do that, you'll find the community, you, you'll gravitate toward the community of people that will give you the support you need to get over the rough spot and put you in a position to support people that are starting out after you. Absolutely. And I think if you start and you go out and do good work, it naturally leads you into being that leader, both in your industry, in your company, and also in your community. Oh, man. Hey, Tom, this has just been great. I can't believe how fast the time went by, Bob. I can't either. Maybe we should do a cereal. I was just going to say, you know, we're sitting here, you know, I would have been through three beers in the last half hour and not even noticed I was drunk. Okay. Well, that, I, we ought to do this again. I, I hope l- everybody likes it. I hope everybody. out of here. In fact, if you liked it and, you know, send an email to Bob or, or send an email to me or, or contact us on Twitter or Facebook and say, hey, we really like the simulcast. Bring that Bob guy back onto cool things <laughs> entrepreneurs do or bring Tom back to uh, Labrador Leadership. Hey, yeah, Tom. So how can all the Labrador Leadership folks find you? That's a great point. They can go to TomSinger.com, T-H-O-M-S-I-N-G-E-R, or they can find me on Twitter at Cool Podcast. And how about the uh, Labrador Leader people, if they want to find you? How do they do that? Uh, they could find me at the website at labradorleadership.com or on Twitter at uh, Bob Nolly is my personal account or at Lab Leadership. Find us both on Facebook. Well, Bob, thank you so much for being a sort of co-host guest here on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. This is great. We may be on to something. Thanks for being on Labrador Leadership. Have a great day. You too. We're out of here. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at at TomSinger. This podcast was produced in part by Podfly.net. Podfly, passion for great sounding podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.